Okay, so we uh, have started the book of Colossians. If you want to turn there, we're going to be in chapter 1. Um, and really, um, Colossians is all about Christ, the center. Uh, the center of everything in our lives should be Christ. And today we're going to be looking at the fact that Christ at the center is really uh, what motivates our faith, fuels our faith, and actually uh, causes our transformation in, in our lives. And last week, we, we looked at the fact that the Colossian church was facing some false teaching. And the main teaching, if you ever want to know what false teaching is, it's either that Jesus is not the only way or that Jesus is not enough. Anything in addition to Jesus, like you need Jesus plus this, uh, you know, philosophy or plus this belief or plus, you know, this extra thing that you got to do, um, that's false. And that was being taught to the Colossian church back then. And this false doctrine, what we looked at last week, was really, uh, it came from bad theology. Now, what does that mean? We talked about last week, wrong teaching about God comes from wrong belief in God. Like what we think about God, what we believe about him actually uh, translate into how we live our lives and, and, and what we say about him, what we teach about him. But the truth is this, that God is with us always, and God loves us. And the truth is, the gospel is not an idea. It's not a philosophy. The gospel is a person. Jesus the Christ. I remember being at a coffee shop one time, and this guy came up to me who was like trying to, this is back in the days when blogs were really big, remember this? Yeah, nobody does blogs anymore. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm writing something for my blog, and I, I, I know you're a pastor, and anytime I see a pastor, I just want to, uh, you know, say, ask this question, what do you think the gospel is? And I said, Jesus. And he goes, yeah, that's the real answer, I guess, but what do you really think it is? I said, no. Jesus, like, I'm serious. Like, the fact that he came to us to provide us uh, the only way back to heaven. And this gospel is active. It, 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 he came to us. He came to the world. And he is bearing fruit. His fruit is increasing. And what is this fruit? What we learned last week was changed hearts. Not an improved you. A new you. A new you in Christ. Living as Christ commands. We talked last week about none of the more that we do in life, whether it's spiritual disciplines, good deeds, more church, being a good moral person, all of it is fluff if Christ is not at the center. Christ has to be the center of our lives in order for us to live the way that God intended us to live. And within these verses this week, we're going to see the Apostle Paul stress the role of Christ as the center of our faith and the source, the only source of our spiritual growth and our actual transforming lives before him. So let me pray for us and then we'll, have a, we'll stand for our reading. Lord, this morning change us. May we encounter you individually and together as a family of faith.
Lord, please grab our attention. Help us to be aware of where you're moving in our hearts right now. Open us to what you have for us this morning. Change us, Lord. Help us to grow deeply in you. Understanding more and more the love of God for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you could please stand. Uh, if you're able, we're going to read. The verses also be up here, but in your Bibles as well. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And be seated. So we see here in verse 9 that, that Paul reveals his heartfelt prayers. Remember, he was in jail and he was getting this news from Epaphras who started the church after Paul had uh, preached the gospel in this area. Now Paul's away in jail, uh, suffering for Christ. And um, he's saying his heartfelt prayers for these Colossian believers. He emphasizes the importance of spiritual growth through the knowledge of God's will. Isn't that something that we all want? The knowledge of God's will. Like, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? And see, this knowledge of God's will really connects us to Christ. But it also, if we share it with each other, it will connect us with each other. You see, we actually have what's called a partnership in Christ. He is faithful to us. The gospel is the promise of God's constant presence in our lives and that the divine partnership between us and God, that where God intervenes, it brings us comfort, support, and a sense of belonging. And just as God is faithful to us, we can be faithful to one another. As believers, we are not alone in our journey. We have a Savior always with us, always guiding us and leading us towards him. But I don't know about you, there's times that I lose sight of that. There's times that I, I, I don't know what God's up to. There's, there's times that I'm like, even when I feel like I'm not like strained from the Lord, like sometimes even in the following of the Lord, we're like, why isn't he revealing our will? And we're like, God's like, oh, just keep going. Just keep going. Because I have something special for you, but you got to go deeper. It's not that he's not with us. It's not that he's not there. It's just part of the process where God sometimes just looks like he, he just kind of fades in the background. And he's there. But we have to experience something in the midst of that. And God will continually reveal ourselves to us. But when we forget that he's there, when we struggle to hear and understand him, we have each other. 
And every single one of us in here has struggled to hear God at some point. Every single one of us in here can actually relate with each other. If somebody came up to you and said, you know, I'm just having a hard time hearing the Lord. You're not going to have anybody in here that's like, what's your problem? You're going to have people in here like, join the club. You see, we do have partnership with Christ and with one another. And, and often we need the one another to help us realize and live in that partnership we do have in Christ. We encourage one another. The foundation of our faith begins with knowing and understanding God's plan for our lives. Now, when I say God's plan for our, our lives, we automatically are like, oh, awesome. God is going to show me what job I'm going to have next, who I'm going to marry, the house. I'm gonna, like he's going to just show me. That is not the case at all. Like the plan that he has for you is that you will in faith continue to trust him, continue to trust in his love along the way. And he will reveal what he wants to reveal. Like I'm sometimes I'm like, God, why won't you let so-and-so know that? Why won't you let me know that? And, and I just have to remember, I don't have to understand that to follow God. Like I can trust in his goodness. And, and when people around me help me with that, it, it makes it even the better because really what is happening here, remember that they were starting to come apart at the seams in this church. They were starting to argue. They were starting to have some division. And, and Paul was saying, just be enriched in the knowledge of God's grace. The, the, the issue of division is a real thing, even today, right? And it's, it's in the church, right? But it's also everywhere. I mean, you can't say one thing without being labeled and pushed to, oh, well, you are here. Oh, well, you are there. Oh, you're that. It's it, no wonder people are like, no, not talking. They're just like, I'm just going to say what I want to say because everybody's going to hate me no matter what. No, we, we get to live in unity. There, there's an importance to this unity. And, and Paul right here is, is pleading for them to strive for it because the gospel is the thing, the, the, the message, the, the power that breaks down the barriers of our world and erases divisions. Now, that being said, Jesus himself said, I, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I came so that mother and uh, son, they're not going to get along because of me. Like there's going to be division with this world. But there shouldn't be division among us. Like we are just reflecting culture when we're divided. And he's pleading with them. He's saying, you are a body of believers. You are wonderfully different and you are purposefully unique. The gospel compels us to focus on the common ground we share in Christ rather than our differences. I mean, John 14, 6 is like the hill that I will die on. And that's where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through me. There is no other way to heaven. That is the one that I'm like, hey, 
we have to agree on that, but the rest of it, can we just figure it out along the way together? Like, can we just talk about where we are and what we're struggling with and what is going on? And, and you look around and somebody's living a life that you're like, wow, I don't know if that's pleasing to Christ. And, but if we really like go internal, we realize that we aren't either. See, we can be enriched by each other. We, we can be enriched because there's divine wisdom that's operating in each of our lives if we belong to him. And as we go along in the journey together, we have the grace of God to love and support one another, to walk with one another, to disagree, but also be united. Because we are unified with Christ at the center. See, Paul's desire extends beyond mere knowledge for them. He longs for them in verse 10. He says, to live lives worthy of the Lord. That, that transformative power of Christ that's provided to us, it's, it's a privilege for us to live in. It's an honor that he offers us. He's saying, you, you can go deeper with me. Live in a manner worthy of the Lord. How we conduct ourselves reflects our heart. I mean, Jesus says the best out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, out of what's going on in your heart, your life will eventually show that. And we've all had bad days. There's times where I'm like, man, I hope people don't know I'm a Christian right now. Good gracious. That was a bad 15 minutes of my life. But is your life more like that or more like growing in Christ? Is there less of those and more of depth in Christ? That is, that is what living a life Worthy of the Lord that we are like, Lord, I, I don't deserve you. I haven't done anything to really earn your love. And, and what you're telling me is I don't have to. Well, that's pretty amazing. See, as we start to show our lives are worthy of the Lord, as we are conducting ourselves in a way that reflects Christ, that people start to go, wow, they, they live differently. It, what is going to begin to happen is you're going to see that you're going to bear fruit and you're going to grow in the knowledge of God and, and see with Christ at the center, we align our actions, our thoughts, our actual very will with his. And we begin to bear fruit. And guess what happens when you bear fruit? You begin to know God more. And guess what happens when you get to know God more? You bear more fruit. And guess what happens when you bear more fruit? You get to know God more. And guess what happens when you get to know God more? You see, it's like a belief cycle. It just continues on and on and on again. That's why, that's why people like Billy Graham can say in a group of total leaders who are like just saying, hey, I want God to do this for me and this for me and this for me and this for me. And they come to Billy Graham and they say, what would you like God to do for you? And he says, oh, I would just like God to make me more holy like him. Like when we understand the depth of God, the love of God, we just want more and more of it. It is an ongoing process that is never done this side of heaven. 
And in heaven, we will experience the fullness of his glory, the fullness of his love, the fullness of our lives being lived for him. Verse 11, Paul says, to be strengthened. So much of this, the the wording in this uh, passage of scripture is like ongoing. What, what, uh, Carrie, what is that a present participle? What, ish? Yeah, nice. Okay, good. I got one English thing right. I done good. Um, it's ongoing. Like so beautiful that the Lord is saying, I'm never done with you. And I used to think like it's because I didn't make God happy. No, it's because I make God happy that he's never done with me. If he didn't care about me, he would never, he would just stop. It's a holy transformation. We are being empowered by God to become more like God. Isn't that beautiful? It's not up to us. And what is this power? It says in verse 11, with all the power according to his glorious might, the unlimited all-encompassing power of God that is constantly at work in the lives of believers. He is the source of this power. It comes from the glory of God. And it's for strength and endurance that comes from Christ alone. You see, making Christ the center of your life means relying on him. His power and might is what is going to sustain you during trials and challenges by surrendering our weaknesses to him, guess what happens? We receive strength. And you're like, is it that simple? I'm like, yeah, it's the simplest, hardest thing you'll ever have to do. Like, it is not easy, but it is not complex. Bring what is not right in you what you feel inadequate about, what you feel weak about, what you feel embarrassed about, what you feel shame about, all of them above, and bring it to him and say, Lord, I I don't know what to do with this. And bit by bit, he's going to start working through that pile with you. Bit by bit. And where there was weakness, what you're going to start to see is, oh, that weakness was used to bring fruit, to bring strength, to bring endurance. And then when somebody's going through the same struggle as you are, you're like, whoa, I got something to tell you. Because I was, I went through something very similar. Let me just tell you what God did. And what happens is it gives people hope. It enables us to navigate life's difficulties with patience and perseverance. And as we learn more and more how God works in our lives, what we understand is we know more and more about how to live our lives. So later on down the road, five, six years, seven years from now, what you were wondering, does God want this in my life? You probably won't wonder that anymore because you've been growing in him and he's starting to help you figure these things out. So what does the verse 10 really mean? I want to go back to that for a second. Let me read it to us. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. As we learn more and more about the Lord, 
we're strengthened by him. We, we understand that becoming more like him, uh, living a life worthy of him, that, that shows our allegiance. Like if you live your life one way, you're saying, well, I'm aligning myself with the world. If you live this way, you're aligning yourself with Christ. And there's this constant battle we have between the world and Christ. And we go back and forth and God starts to pull these things away from us. But this is something that we have to learn. This is not done or accomplished by gritting your teeth and trying harder. Every person I've ever talked to that has struggled with an addiction of some sort said, I came to my end when I ran out of all my strength trying to stop it. And I realized that I couldn't do it. That I couldn't muster it up in me. Whether it was addiction to, you know, painkillers or alcohol or, or what, what's viewed online. The people that get real freedom from those things and anything is when we realize we cannot muster it up in ourselves. This is not like a workout plan. This is not you running a marathon. Like whether you believe it or not, every single person here could probably run a marathon if you train long enough. But not everybody can live a godly life because it's about surrender. It's about saying, I can't. Matter of fact, God, I know left to myself, I won't. But you can. And you will. This is about realizing that if you've given your life to Christ, you are, he is already pleased with you. Like living your life in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him, guess what? You do please him already. You are the apple of his eye. This is about letting the fact that we do please him penetrate our hearts, believing that the fact of his strength and his, his endurance, this is what fuels us in our love for God. The fact that he actually helps us and encourage us to come back to him. And then we start to trust him. And as we start to trust him, we start to go, wow, what you want for me is ultimately for my best, whether I agree with it or not. And then there's the things that God allows in our lives that we can't explain, we can't figure out, really don't make our lives better at all. And I used to have answers for that. For now, I would say this. Just lean into the fact that you already please him. That he does love you. And though you can't see it, though he may have kind of dipped back into the shadows, he's still there. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep moving forward with Christ. Verse 12, Paul encourages them to be filled with gratitude. It's through Christ's work on the cross that we received the qualification, listen to this, to partake in God's kingdom. When Christ is the center of our lives, our hearts overflow with gratitude because his redeeming work is happening in 
his very children. We are now children of God. And these scriptures say this, we have an inheritance. It's in a place called, according to what we just read, the kingdom of light. It is waiting for us when Christ comes back, when the new heaven and the new earth meet. Revelation 21 puts it this way so beautifully. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older the old order of things has passed away. This is only possible because Christ is at the center. And it's only possible because, as verses 13 and 14 tell us, the power of the cross is the central message of Christianity. It is the power of the cross, the gospel that changes us. It places an ultimate value on the sacrificial love, which is so against what the world says. It's about God showing himself in a humble way, selflessly giving his own son. The cross is not a symbol of weakness, but a demonstration of God's power. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus that we find redemption for our lives and forgiveness and help with our broken hearts. He rescued us from what? The dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light that through the redeeming work of the cross that we experience restoration for our brokenness, healing for our hearts, fruit that replaces what used to be far from him.